Welcome back to the From Field to Plate podcast. My name is Jeremiah Dowdy, and today I've got a special guest that most of you have probably never, ever heard of. Uh, this is a dude that I grew up with, um, best friends all through elementary into junior high, and then we kind of went our own ways um, after like seventh, eighth grade, I think. Uh, his mom and dad were split. and kind of started spending more time with mom. Uh, dad is a phenomenal musician at our church that we grew up at. Uh, still think about singing, singing stupid songs, com- coming home from like junior high camp as your dad's leading the whole entire, uh, van full of like singing campfire songs in the van on the way home. But anyway, today's guest is, uh, Jeremy up and kind of want to talk to him a little bit cause we had this conversation. He's got a lot of cool things going on. I met from his work to his family to, doing extreme races that make me tired just watching Instagram videos. So Jeremy, how are you doing today, bud? Ed, I'm, I'm doing great, man. It's so awesome to reconnect with you. I, I think you're right. It's been since about seventh or eighth grade where we kind of parted our ways, but kind of been chatting through socials. I found you somehow you came into my logarithm, I think as like this hunter, like just this cool looking image came up and I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> Face has not changed. I, no. I I don't know about how I look, but I can I could spot you from um, uh, ten miles away. Yeah, Emmett. Besides the beard, I look the same as I did <laughs> in junior high. I'm, I'm the same height too. Yeah. I think I was six foot one when we were like thirteen. So yeah, I was always and I and you yeah, were I short, five, and you were a short five guy. eight at fourteen, and I I stayed there. Now <laughs> I'm forty. I'm still work. I'm still working on it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I kind of wanted just get back into chat and get back into kind of like what you're doing. I know that, um, you've got, you've got a hundred mile race coming up. Um, so we could chat about that. I know you've got your normal house life. You've also got, uh, an amazing daughter with special needs, which is one of my big passions is working alongside autistic kids at church, as well as adults that we do at church. We started, um, a lot of cool programs within our church for autistic families and buddies so that the parents could still go to church and their kids yeah. are still feeling, uh, and their, and their kids sit in Sunday school with the other kids, um, and have a buddy that sits there with them. And if they want to get up and play cars or run around, and it's really cool to see the interaction of the non-special need children when those kids act up, they don't even bat an eye at it, which is, Oh no, it's, which it's is incredible phenomenal. to see them. They're so accepting at such an early age. I mean, in the beginning, you see some eyebrows kind of furl, and then after a while, they're like, "Oh, this kid's kind of cool." Yeah. And like, where can I like fit in with this kid? Let me show me how to do this. It's, it's it's really cool to see. And they like to use the excuse to just go play with cars. They're like, yeah. "Oh, are they gonna play with cars? Can I go play yep. with cars?" I'm like, "Yeah, go play with cars with them." Um, yeah. So my um, for it. on that on that note, no, my that's been one of our biggest challenges is. Um, there's always support, um, of a church and they're doing their best. Um, but as a parent, you're always still on your mind. You're really, it's really hard to focus in on the sermon, on the message that day, because in the back of your mind, it's like your, your daughter, your child with special needs is always on your mind. And we even had an instance where the church that we were attending to quite frequently when we, when we were able to go to church often, they, they literally lost her. We checked her in and um, we, they, you know, it's really cool. They try to like organize the kids and they go into the chapel. They have, a, they get to worship during the adult worship 
and they lead him back. Well, some, something happened. She was gone and we thought she was secure and <laughs> yeah. went to go pick her up after and she wasn't there. So it, it, if any churches has any kind of program, it's always like a plus for us uh, parents because it helps us feel like seen and recognized. And it, it's been a, tr- it's been a tremendous struggle along the way with our journey. Um, but yeah, Hartley is eight years old. Um, we started services with her um, when she was 13 weeks old. My wife's in the field, so she noticed things that my like lay dead eye didn't see and couldn't see. And she says, no, like something's going on here. And I'm so blessed to have um, a wife in the field who, like this is her expertise. Like she was born into the right family because my wife is such a blessing and can be her advocate, not only as a professional, but as a mother. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And it's, I mean, for someone that works with, and we, we have it all the way up. We have an adult, you know, class where we'll have, or not an adult class. We have a adult sensory room, which makes it so that they can still watch the sermon and, you know, with lower volumes, lower lights in, in a different area. Um, and it's been a huge, huge thing, but for the kids, it's kind of cool. Cause like you were saying, we check them in, but as soon as they check in, they check in with a buddy and that buddy is, yeah. and it's an adult who has gone through classes or it's a high school kid that's gone through classes or wants to go through classes um, to learn how to be with a buddy. And it's, it's, and that, yeah. it's so awesome to see these, you know, you'll see some grandparent age people that are in there just having a blast with these kids because they just understand the calming aspect of what it takes to, to be a mentor in that. And it's, it's awesome to see these families who were so afraid to leave their kids somewhere like you. Right. Yeah. And then they can feel that they know, you know, no one's allowed in or out without a little piece of paper, you know, like there's a sticker on the kid and a sticker on the parent and you cannot sure. leave that room without that, that sticker. And it's crazy from when we were in junior high. Cause I remember vividly you and I in junior high, along with some of our other buddies sneaking out during Sunday school and jump and jumping into dumpsters that were full of, yeah, like cardboard. And then they're like, where are our kids? And we're literally jumping two stories into dumpsters full of, or going into that little elevator and like hiding, in yep. the, hiding in the elevator, drinking, you know, crappy church coffee and yeah. to where it is now, it's such a difference, but we'll get more into that. I, I kind of want to yeah. talk about this. What got you into kind of doing this Ironman endurance type stuff? Because, you know, you played sports, in yep. junior high and high school, I think you were playing football. You played soccer. Um, no, no football. I played was soccer. It, it was never big enough. No, well, I said I was football. A little guy. I was just going European football. You just, had oh. I, just well, I just remember you know. were always playing sports uh, where I was always riding motorcycles and shooting guns. So, um, yeah. Where, what kind of took you into that area to kind of go into this enduro aspect of life? Yeah. it. You know, we all have like a, a story, but my, I, I always say like soccer saved my life. As you know, like I come from a, a broken family, um, a lot of support on one end and just kind of chaos on the other side. But my sport always kept me grounded. And so I knew from an early age, like I could decide to be this like rebellious kid and like really just go off the deep end or I could stay focused in on a sport. So uh, when high school soccer ended, I decided not to pursue the college route. I did get a couple of letters to play at some local colleges, but it wasn't going to pan out. You got to have support and family support a lot. And I didn't want to go into debt it, and it was nothing like full ride scholarships. So after 
soccer ended um, at the high school level, you know, most guys just go into like leagues, little men's leagues. And eventually someone was like, oh, hey, you you run a lot. You should run a marathon. Oh, yeah, sure. Let's do that. So my first marathon was like in 2005, uh, in, my, in my 20s, I did Chicago Marathon. And um, as you know, like I grew up going to the beach. I was a, kind of like a surf skate kid, always in and out of the water. So I was always comfortable with the water. And then someone said, hey, you should try, you should try a triathlon. You might be good at it. Because um, I was always on and off the bike. So I... Worked my way up through triathlon all the way to the Ironman, um, you know, 140.6 uh, mile Ironman, full Ironman. And as I had kids, it was hard to manage three sports because you really had to be an expert at three sports to stay competitive. Um, and I always wanted to not just be out there and race the race. I wanted to be competitive. Um, and then, so my passion was always the bike. That was always my best sport. But I, I, so I focused on uh, racing 100-mile, 60-mile mountain bike races. And um, slowly I started to notice that I was a different person if I was on the bike, if I had a schedule, if I had an event planned. Um, I really, I, I've learned that having a goal, having a mission, whether it be a hunt like you can relate to or a specific race, having a set planned goal each and every day like makes me a better human being and um so this year full circle coming back to uh running again i wanted something that was totally different that was that i could focus on that wasn't so podium minded i wanted to just have a journey so in ultra running um the the vibe is not about who's on the podium it's about, can you finish this hard thing? And so we, even at our house, at the house, it's like the Eps do hard things. And I'm the leader of that let's do hard things thing yeah. at our house. So now I signed up for the Javelina 100. It's in Arizona. It's a 100-mile race in the desert. And it's just my, my newest uh, endurance journey. Um, I never want to be complacent in just one sport. I want to keep challenging myself. So I'm the new guy again. We get kind of comfortable in our own thing. And uh, I think it's great to like branch out, even though it's still endurance and I still come from these hard, long things. It's like I haven't ran more than, you know, 10 miles in a long time and I've got to get to a hundred, yeah. you know? Yeah. And there's a, there's, well, a, there's a lady at our church named Sarah Bruce and she has done, she last year she did the Arizona. I think she did the Arizona the past two years. Um, and she does, I mean, she'll run to the top of Mount Baldy during spring and summer and then run back down. She's just insane with yeah. That. And she's the same thing where she got into marathons, got into long distance. And then all of a sudden she started pushing herself and she did the one that's what from like Reno to Sacramento or whatever that, that crazy or from Tahoe to anyway, there's a one that's up, up real high. Yes. Rounds, yeah. Uh, where you got to get like picked and drawn. And so she, yep. she got that and she competed in that race and it's crazy to see the amount of you know, strength that goes into it. Because for me, it's like when I hike a mountain, I, I'm dead when I get to the top, but I know that my goal is looking for an elk or looking for a mule deer or looking for a turkey or right. whatever it is. And it's like, then I'm thinking about it. It's like, it took me two hours to hike that mountain with gear on and she's running sure. up it, you know, and you're running up it and they're running up it. And I'm like, holy crap. Like it takes a different yeah. mindset, but then you take her hiking and it's a completely different mindset 
because she has to go slower and methodical and, you know, or right. she'll come back. She's like, yeah, I just puked a bunch and I'm going to keep going. I just <laughs> take another gel. And I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. It's crazy because her husband is like her biggest support. And he's like, I don't know, go have fun, go run. Like he'll run little marathons with her. But when it comes to that long distance stuff, it's, it's, it's a whole different world. And it's, I mean, kind of, kind of, if anybody's interested, kind of go into what it takes. I know you're talking about, I mean, you're taking supplements as you're running, right? Gel packs and water. It's not just like drink water. Like there's a whole world that goes into sustaining your body for a hundred miles. There's a whole science to it for sure. And uh, especially in triathlon, it's like the joke. It's like the running joke. Eating is the fourth sport. Right. So swim, bike, run, eat. And in any other endurance sport, we say whoever eats the most wins. So it's, it is a science for, and everybody's different. So I, I, I have this guy following social media. He's like 100% against gels and like this like prepackaged thing. He just eats like peanut butter and jellies and like ice balls and all this. And like everybody has their own journey, but in the end it comes down to a calorie per hour and an amount of water per hour. So my, my uh, recipe has always been about 26 ounces of water per hour along with 300 calories and i jeremiah i can go forever and within those calories you have the proper amount of electrolytes salts um you know potassium you've got uh like the bcaas help with that muscle breakdown yeah but if you stop eating you stop going so it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around it because most people are only running for like 30 minutes at a time Right. So they're not, that doesn't even come into the equation yet. Right. Like we're talking. And so like right now in my, I'm in the beginning of my endurance phase, every day matters and it's compounded. And so if I miss, so I have my regular nutrition, whatever I'm trying to like eat my, my regular, just standing, doing nothing, walking around 3000 calories a day has nothing to do with if I've worked out today. Right. So I've got to sustain myself with those calories just just being through my regular day along with what I've done. So I've gotten in the habit, even in those 30 minute runs, I'm taking in, you know, 20 ounces of water, maybe no food. But if I miss that, even in that 30 minute run, the next day I've got an hour and a half planned. Like each day is compounding on the next. Yeah. And that's what people, and that's kind of like what I preach to people 100% right away. It's like, if you know, you've got a long run on Saturday or you've got that hard hunt, you know, you're going for that big mule deer on Saturday. You better start your nutrition on Thursday. Yeah. You've got to build that glycogen store and your hydration store early on. And if you're doing a multi-day hunt or a multi, what are we, what we have blocks. So we'll do like three, three, four day hard block of training. So you've got to be on the nutrition every day leading into that hardest day. Otherwise, you don't really know, was it a hard day? Was was that day difficult? Or did you just fall behind on your nutrition somewhere along those four days? So you, you want to, uh, like, my biggest thing is I don't have all the talent, but I can control the things that I can control. I'm really good at those things. Yeah. Nutrition, hydration, off the, off the run, off the bike. Like, I, I sometimes I post some, funky looking uh, pictures of me in these inflatable boots, right? So it's it's all about the in-between that gets you to that long goal. 
Yeah. So it used to be that, oh, eat that big bowl of pasta right before the run. No. Like now it's, you got to slowly build those stores before you get to your, your main, main event or main workout for the week. Yeah, for sure. And I know yeah. I find that too, when we, when we take a lot of new people hunting and we bust out their pack in they've got little Debbie snack cakes because they see someone, no. you know, yeah. and it's like, you know, we're going up a mountain, right? They're like, what'd you bring? And I was like a giant bag full of jerky, you know, right. like, what? And I go, that's jerky and tortillas because you get that, you got to have that carb mindset, right? Yeah. As it builds back your brain right. as you're going, but tortillas pack flat. So you can pull that out. You can put a piece of jerky in it. Yeah. Uh, and there'll be times where I'll find, like, I just put a whole piece of jerky in the side of my cheek. Right. And you suck on it until it's yeah. nothing. And it's the same sort of mindset that just you're continually feeding your body, right? With that yep. with that mindset of this is food, this is the goal. And it was funny, we were we were in Montana last week uh, filming with a, with a company. And the guy that I was driving back and forth to the airport, he's uh, kind of, he's, he's a cool dude, but he's not outdoorsy. Like he's yeah. very, works in the bank. Uh, barbecues in his backyard when he wants to like, and so he's asking all these different questions and we're driving through these, these mountains, of Montana. I'm like, Oh, I've hunted elk up there. He goes, you've been up there. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm showing him on the, the map. And he's like, yeah, I could never do that. And I go for, for me, what I teach a lot of people is that, you know, sort of like you said, finding an, a, an achievable goal within the bigger goal. You know, I told right. him, I said, if, if you try to look at getting to the top of the mountain, you're going to fail getting to the top of the mountain. Right. Because your goal is getting to the top of that mountain. For me, it's like, I need to get to that next pine tree. And I pick a pine tree in my mind and I make it to that pine tree. And then from yeah. there, I say, I got to get to that rock. And I get to that rock. Next thing I know, I look back and I'm on top of the mountain. Now I told him, I said, you've got smaller goals within your medium-sized goals for your larger goal. And so if my larger yeah. goal is to get on top of that mountain, I'm still not going to say I'm going to walk halfway up the mountain. Because then if I fail, then I'm like, I'm a failure. But if I say, hey, my goal yeah. is to get that to that 200 yards to that tree. And I make that, I achieve my goal and there's something mental that says you've achieved a goal. What's your next goal? You know, in, yeah, in the back, that's, in the that's back exactly of, what we, yeah. Right. And so that's I think exactly what we do in endurance. Yeah. Um, so if I'm training, like I had a coach, um, to call that the mailbox theory, just got to get to the next mailbox or the next stop sign. Um, right. We even call we even call them like uh, stop sign sprints. Like if we've got sprints planned to the, for the day, within your workout. So you've got say you've got like a two hour workout. Well, sprinkled throughout that workout, you might have ten one minute sprints. Yeah. It's like you pick something in the distance, and that's all you focus on for that one minute. And when you get there, you have that self achievement. Yeah. And then you've kind of got a coin, ding, in the bank, and you go, all right, I got to do, I, I can do that one more time pick something out and it's so psychological. Oh yeah. And I do that. I do that in my, in my monthly, I can see like my monthly workout uh, with my coach. And if I look too far forward, I'm like, crap, I got to run 25, 25 miles on that Saturday. Yeah. I, I, it's literally day to day. And then it's broken down into like this. If it's an hour workout, it's like sometimes I'm focused in on five minutes at a time. Yeah. Literally five minutes at a time. I have this thing where I take a sip of water every five minutes and I do a self-evaluation every five minutes, no matter where I am. Number one, it keeps me hydrated because I take that sip of water. Number two, it's like a system check. How's everything feeling? 
because all of a sudden that first five minutes is now an hour and a half yeah. and it goes by so much faster if you can chunk it down in these little nuggets where you just keep giving yourself that self-affirmation that's what keeps you going if you think too far you're gonna be like i can't do it you all this doubt starts to think instead of all this positivity oh yeah it's just it's so, so it's so funny that different worlds right i mean your world is completely different than my world in the sense of what we're doing you know i'm I don't want to run. Just tell you that right now. Yeah. You know, I've got, I've blown out my Achilles twice and torn my calf muscle. And so, yeah. so running, running a block, next thing I know, I'm like, dude, I, I can feel every tendon and every muscle, even, even through physical therapy or, you know, playing, playing sports, you know, my, my hamstrings are just shot from squatting and as a goalie right? in, in hockey, in hockey. So it's like, you sit there and think of all these things where it's just different worlds. Right. But we all have the same mindset and the same ideas when you think about you break it down and that's kind of like when I go into these world about nutrition with people right my nutrition is completely different than your nutrition but we look at it in the same exact mindset where this is fuel this is fire this is this is good this is bad you know right when I debate vegans and vegetarians I'm like listen your body is actually craving the proteins within the meat that it is especially if you look at your blood type your blood type is going to tell you what you need to eat and these 100%. people get, you know, these people get in these big arguments. Next thing you know, they're in the hospital because their doctor's like, Hey, you need to eat meat. I'm like, it's not that I'm just trying to be yeah. this evil guy who goes out and shoots a deer, but it's, if yeah. you actually look at what goes into the body and what goes into what fuels your body. I think that really plays into you as an ultra runner and me who's hiking 19 miles to go look for a bear. I mean, right. my 19 miles is your hundred miles, right? That's our, still our end goal. And how do we achieve yeah. that in the middle of it comes down to what we put into our body and how we work our body. Right. That's right. And it's, and it's, I would say for a lot of, you know, your hunter um, crews out there, it's, a, you gotta, you gotta manage your body as you get older off of the hunt or we call it, I call it off the bike, off the run. So as we get older, we got to start hitting those weights. Like I, I'm running five times a week. And I'm lifting three times a week, whether I feel like crap or not, I got to get that lift in because you want to sustain your body. As you get older, you want to be more durable. You go down and like, I'm sure you've had times where you misstep and you're down Yeah. and you, 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 you're carrying all this gear. You do a systems check. Am I good? Well, you want to be able to not break a hip, you know, on the trail. Yeah. And so same with me, if I'm on the bike or on the run and I have a misstep and I go down, I want to, I want to be confident that I can get right back up. Yeah, for sure. And that's where that, and that, and the weightlifting is not just for, you know, that, that muscle loss that we're, that we're going through as we age, but it's also, like I said, it's that durability. I've, I've gone down many times and surprisingly with, you know, that pro, I, I'm, I'm like, wow, can't believe I'm not in a hundred pieces right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So you, it's, it's it, like the science now is the off the hunt, the off the bike, the off the run is going to be so much beneficial for all of us as we, especially as we age. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny too. Cause you know, duck season just ended and I'm working with a buddy who started a company called fit to hunt and he's an older gentleman, Jeremy as well. Um, and his whole goal is to get people fit to do a hunt they want to do, but also to build longevity within that. So if you're going to go do a 
sheep hunt. Well, a sheep hunt is the hardest hunt you can do because you are literally going vertical to try to find these sheep who are living at 10, 12, 18,000 feet, right? <clears throat> and so it's taken you three days to get to where the sheep are. And if you're not physically right. fit to get to where the sheep are, so that's kind of his mindset. But we started talking about duck hunting. We go out to the duck blinds and you're walking in waist deep water, which is also muck on the bottom, right? And you look at all these old timers who are out there just struggling to walk the hundred yards to the blind. And it's like, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I'm looking at these guys who are their fifties, sixties, seventies. I mean, you and I we're only a month apart. Like we're going to be 41 here. I mean, I'm going to be 41 next week and you're going to be 41 in a month and a half, you know, the end of March. And I don't know why I still remember your birthday every single <laughs> freaking, I don't know why, but March 31st, it's always, it's yes, always sir. there since forever. Um, I think it's because we would go play like Gold and I together on your birthday in, in like yeah. downstairs at your house or something on N64. Well, it was they were so close together. I think that's right. part of it too. And that's the reason I hate getting called Jeremy to this day is because they'd be <laughs> like, oh, the Jeremys are here. And I'm like, no, we're completely no. different people. And you're it's like, it's so yeah, funny because people call me Jeremiah. My head literally goes, what? Yeah. What'd you say? Yeah. Every time <laughs> it's like Jeremy, I was like, and my daughter's asking. I go, well, I was good friends with a guy named Jeremy, and they would just be like, oh, here's the Jeremys. And I was like, you shut up. Like, my name is completely yeah, you, different. You. I got extra <laughs> letters. I don't have a Y in mine. Um, right. But, no, I think I think it's I think it's just this this crazy thing that we look at and this idea behind food and nourishment. And But we were talking to this, this Fit to Hunt guy. He was talking about all these supplements. You know, like people are taking all these supplements because they got to, you know, get their fill-in-the-blank vitamins and minerals. Sure. <clears throat> Well, I was reading a Lewis and Clark journal and looking at what the Native Americans were eating and what the Braves were eating. They weren't taking wilderness athlete. They weren't taking mountain ops. They weren't taking whatever's at the nearest RX store, right? Like right. what they were eating was off the land and off the animal. And so you start to dissect what they were eating. And it's like, okay, these guys were stronger, faster, and better than we will ever be. And they were eating this diet of fresh. And I say fresh being what they could catch, what they could harvest. You know, they weren't planting, they weren't growing. They were finding what the land provided and they were becoming insane. Well, one of those things was the Braves would kill an elk. So say they had to go do, they were going to go attack another tribe. They were going to go do something, right? Before an elk hunt, they would kill an animal and they would squeeze out all the guts out of the intestines. So all the fecal matter, everything that's going to be just out of the large and small intestines. They would Then they would have a competition to see who could eat to the middle of the fastest of this, just this nasty, disgusting. And you're, you and I are going, that's disgusting. Well, yeah. if you start to look at the science behind what they were doing, okay, so you eat food, food goes down your throat, goes into your stomach, your stomach digests it, sends it into the intestines, which break down and send everything to their entire body, right? Your stomach is just, sure. it's just a breakdown tool. It's just, it's just a blender. Once it gets into your intestines, that's where it sends the positive negatives and any negative is coming out the back end. All the positives are going into a mucous membrane that sits within it. And then that's put into your bloodstream. It's put into your nervous system. It's put into your fill in the blank, right? What they didn't know, but what we look at is all the minerals, all the vitamins, all the nutrients that that animal consumed is still lying within that gut tract, that, that, that GI. Yeah in that mucous membrane. So as they're sitting there chewing on that, they're actually getting a triple double daily dose of all their vitamins and minerals, which made them run faster. So then they start cutting little one, two inch pieces of intestine 
And as they were running, they would sit there and chew on this like you're doing, right? To, yeah. hey, I'm starting to feel tired. I'm starting to feel like I can't keep going. They take out this piece of intestine, start chewing on this intestine like bubble gum. And next thing you know, they have this huge boost of energy. Well, it's the same thing with you, with your water and your, and your gel packs, right? Like, it's crazy yeah. to think that we're doing the same thing they did thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago to maintain their body on, on, a, on a run. Because if you go look at some of these Indians, they, they run a hundred miles to go find Buffalo. Like they're yeah. doing, they're, they did everyday life, what you're training to do, you know? Like, yeah. I, that was just the regular. Yeah. That's incredible. That, I, I've, I've never actually heard that, um, heard of them doing that. That's, that's amazing. It's amazing that they had that, you know, foresight to know that that's where that process is happening that you're describing. And then, Hey, let's make this mobile. Let's go. Well, and the thing is they didn't, right. They just knew that, like, so Lewis and Clark came in and one of the parts and a lot of the company had um, scurvy during the winter, like the winter months going through the top. And they went into one of the tribes and they're like, hey, why don't any of you guys have what our guys have? Uh, and the chief's like, I don't know what you guys have, but I'll show you what we eat so we don't look and act and get sick like you. And so they pull these adrenal glands off the kidneys. Well, the adrenal gland holds like off an elk holds like 20 to 30 um oranges worth of vitamin C off this wow. little adrenal gland. So they take this adrenal gland, they dry it, they crush it up, they put it into water. Everyone drinks it. Next thing you know, no one's dying of scurvy because they're getting wow, vitamin man. C from an adrenal gland off of a kidney of an elk. Now, yeah. That is passed down from generation to generation. Now we look at our kids who are going to McDonald's and Taco Bell and have no idea what a chicken nugget is. Or, you know, right. like you ask a kid, where does a chicken nugget come from? They're like McDonald's. It's like, well, no, right. what, what animal? I don't know. You know, and it's like, well, not my kids. My kids are like, oh, that's, I don't know. That's, is that a, is that a duck? Um, yeah. But it's crazy to look at this, the, the idea behind what we put into our body and how it is, you know, kind of if we take that from your endurance, we kind of move back into your kids. It's crazy when we look at what we're putting into our body and how it's affecting, I think, the mental state and the special needs of the kids we have today. Um yeah, it is. It is. There is a lot of theory there. There is definitely some theories there about preservatives and stuff like that. Um, I'm no expert there, but Jen, um, my wife, she's been in this field a lot. And there is a lot of theories that have to do with food additives, preservatives, because there is no pinpoint still yeah. to this day. We've got a we've got a, a diagnosis that only continues to um, affect more kids. Yeah. It's now 100. It's now one in 44 children. So I did, I did a charity ride on my own during COVID and I called it the, I called it the one in 54 ride. Uh, there's a local loop in my uh, neighborhood. Just there's trails. I live in Ladera Ranch. There's trails all over me. And um, just two years ago, it was one in 54. So I did 54 laps of this um, famous trail called Waterworks. I ended up doing like 90 miles in like nine hours or something crazy. Yeah, I remember following along. Yeah, and um, so li quite literally the next year, it went it went to one in forty four, and it was something that I was going to continue doing, and then I was just like, we can't keep doing this. The laps are going to be pretty one, soon. It's going to be twenty two yeah. laps. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's going to be nothing worth. So at the time, I was trying to do something that caught people's attention. Fifty four laps. Of, uh, it's like what? This is like a 1.5 mile loop. What are you guys, what is this guy doing? Yeah. And so I just 
made a page and there was no one racing because the races, everybody shut down the races. But like I said, like, I was like, I got discouraged. I was like, this can't keep, I can't keep up with this. Now it's going to be the 144 ride. Like, what is this? Yeah. And when we started, you know, when we started, like, um, Hartley got her diagnosis in, um, 2018. I want to say it was like, don't quote me. It was like one in 80, one in 90. So it's rapidly, um, you know, there's a whole theory behind that too. And I don't want to get too political with that and about research and like what, and more availability of, of, um, data, but no doubt we still don't know where. Yeah. The, the beginnings uh come from and you know i have a neurotypical first child right and then my second child has autism and she's a girl so having a girl as a second child with autism is like extremely rare yeah because for some reason they say it's not 100 percent genetic so they think there is a genetic component with an environmental trigger yeah and again not an expert but my likely of your firstborn if you're going to carry that genetic with that trigger you're going to have it in your firstborn and my firstborn was a boy so which my is, chances which, of him is higher autism rate is much higher yeah so then now i you know second child wow like she's a girl has autism and like it, it's just incredible like you just you just it's incredible that we just don't know yeah. like the human brain is like the most unexplored thing uh, we, you know, the, you've heard it before, like we know more about the depths of the ocean than our brains. Like we still don't know yeah. why two humans can have one traumatic injury or two humans can have a child with autism. And then they are completely different along the spectrum. Yeah. You know, so, well, there's, you know, how, yeah, no, I think it's, and it's crazy. The more and more you research, the more and more you do, you know, one of these guys on this film, that I was just doing last week in Montana, him and I were talking in the car and he has a five, almost six year old nonverbal autistic daughter as well. And it's funny cause I was telling you, it's like the first thing I thought of was you and your story. And I'm talking to this, this yeah. guy about it. And I was like, you know, in, in, in California, we have a lot of support. Um, like, yeah, like, true. like instant support, like our, like, like our state sucks in a lot of ways politically and financially and fill in the blanks with whatever you want right. to on each on, on red or blue side, California yeah. sucks on a lot of the issues, but when it comes to the aspect of support to parents mm -hmm. with, with children with needs, it's ridiculous. It's got, it's the best in the entire country. You know, and he lives in Utah and he's telling me that he's on like a five year waiting list to get help, yes, to get help on just yeah. getting it, just getting an iPad or just yeah. getting a therapist who can come to the house you know, three times a week to help his daughter. You know, he's like, he's going through all these things. And I'm like, that is insane to think about. Cause I know in California, it's like, boom, here you go. Like there's some, you know, but we even have babysitter. Like if you want to go get a babysitter, the state will send a babysitter who, yeah. is, who is certified to hang out with your, with your kids, you know, for free so that you and your wife can go get a break. Um, which is insane. But going back on the food aspect of it, there's this lady that wrote a book called deep nutrition. I talk about this book a, a lot and it's one of my favorite books to read, but in there she talks about how gut health and what we put into our body. Like we think about it as impacting us today, right? Like what I, w what I feed my daughter is impacting who she was. We actually have to look back like two generations. 
of genetic code to actually see what breaks down within, you know, like a peanut allergy. You know, when you and I were growing right. up, nobody had a peanut allergy. No. no, nobody was autistic, you know, and if it was, it was that weird kid that, that we were all playing pogs with. Like we didn't care, but he wasn't, yeah. he, he still wasn't a nonverbal. It wasn't where they're, you know, a lot of these, some of these autistic kids, which are just, it feels like there's nothing behind the eyes. Right. And it's just so sad and so heartbreaking to see this stuff. And it's, but you go back and look at when these things started to evolve. And a lot of it goes into the processing of food, the processing of dyes, the, away from the natural aspects of medicines. And again, I'm no hippie. I'm no anything, but it's crazy when you start to digest looking at things from a standpoint of it's not your wife's fault. It's what her mom started to eat, which changed her genetic code, which then changed the genetic code of your daughter. And it's, it's mind blowing to look at, to, to look at and, and to have evidence where she's like laying this stuff out. And where you can, you know, where you can start to correct things in your daughter by taking out certain seed oils and dyes and watching the change in their genetic code start to manipulate. It's, I don't know. To me, I read that stuff as like science fiction, but in all reality, it's like you're dealing with that on a, on a true basis. And we don't want to sit there as parents and say, oh, my kid is this way because of me, right? That's like, that's like one of the hardest things. But you also have to look at it as how as we as parents, can we raise that? You know, she's going to be with you forever. And it's. Yeah, we've we've come to terms. You know, it's funny because I literally just had this conversation yesterday with a uh, co-worker. And I'm at that point of um, so far into this acceptance that I'm so open about having. Some people don't know exactly how to uh, ask a question and they can come across absurd or just like, you're just like, what yeah. the F? Did you really just say that? Yeah. Okay. And you got to kind of like dial yourself back and be like, okay, I'm going to give this person grace because they really don't know how to ask the question. Right. But we, but we totally had that question about the long term and what it looks like for Hartley. And I was like, I've already accepted she's going to be living with me forever. Yeah. You know, and we started talking about like, what does that look like? How can I give her a little bit of independence? If God willing, she's willing to get to that point. Yeah. For her, for my Hartley is she's cognitively about half her age. She's eight. She's about three and a half, four. Um, so that's a struggle. There is no past for her. There is no future. Yeah. And what I mean by that, not in a metaphorical way, but in a literal way, there's no, how was your day? That's too abstract. Yeah. And there's no, what would you like to do tomorrow? She lives right now. Yeah. And in a way there's some freedom in that because she doesn't suffer from these anxieties of yesterday or tomorrow. She's now, she's present, she's happy. And that's one of the blessings um, with, with Hartley. And it's not every child. Hartley's affectionate. Hartley is so ha- such a happy child. A lot of children on the spectrum are very stoic and they're introverted, hang their head low. Yeah. Hartley's up here. And I don't know if that's a product of our family because we have such support and we are a loving, like just, outgoing tell us about your feelings show it all i don't know if she's just mimicking that i don't know i couldn't i couldn't ask her that but we are so blessed and like that that's the way she is yeah you know and just to go back again um on the nutrition part i i 100 agree with you um we have tried um really limiting her diet but 
for our case, if you take away the dairy, this is, these are the two common things. You take away the dairy and the gluten. Yeah. And obviously all the dairy, gluten, and processed dyes. So we've tried that route, but it limited her diet so far that she was eating nothing. Yeah. So she already has, uh, you know, I can, I can count on, you know, one and a half hands what she will eat on a daily basis. So then if we limit already only those eight items now they're only four yeah you know and she's a very visual you know if you if you give her this yogurt and then this one has a different packaging could be the same flavor profile but she will not have anything to do with it because yeah because she's aware of what it was yeah it's this visual connection she has first with food and then accepting you know she's not willing it's really hard for her to accept and try new items yeah so if you cut out too much, then you have a, a child on no diet yeah, and that's sure. worse. That could be worse too. Right. Yeah, No, hundred percent. Right. It's, it, it is, I would include that. It is crazy. The things that she eats the most, lo and behold, all natural things. Yeah. Like I, it, it's so great. Like, I mean, it's for her, it's like fruits and like we give her like organic cheeses and like avocados, like she loves all that. Like she just loves fruit. Yeah, that's like her, her main, her main thing. So it's it's great. Like as long as we can, protein has always been a really hard thing. Protein. She's eight years old. She just now. What kid doesn't eat nuggets? Yeah. <laughs> so she just got introduced to like when we buy organic chicken nuggets for her. It's just like the best thing like we can introduce to her. Like if you just cook her a piece of chicken she's gonna throw it off the table yeah you know so we've been trying to like get creative but as long as it's what we deem like you know organic is a air quote you know or whatever but better quality yeah quality piece of nice lean meat yeah that she can try and we've and i've and i've gotten kind of tricky with her i'll just put something on her plate just to see what she does like little like a piece of beef or something and she's like looks at me like you crazy guy <laughs> and it goes to the dog you know yeah well, that's, uh, that's funny though because you see that so often and i think where you guys are succeeding is that you guys are continually introducing or trying or doing things we'll see a lot of these these families are like oh it's just easier to give them fruit snacks because they don't argue with us well it's like yeah. in the beginning yeah. if you would have started with the better alternatives you know you Again, that yogurt packaging, they have become, a, it's its like your dog. Your dog knows when you walk into the door. You know, my dog knows when, when he wakes up in the morning, I'm going to take him out for a walk. Like we have conditioned our, our dogs. We've conditioned our children. We've conditioned ourselves to certain things, right? And so we've, con- sure. we've con- you've conditioned her with that package or with the thing that she associates in her now brain, right? Because you said she's living in the now. And, oh, yeah. And if you deviate from that, she doesn't know how to, you know, turn that off. And so I was telling parents, I said, yeah, it, it may be a struggle, but start to introduce certain things or put those other fruit snacks into that, you know, and parents are like, Oh my gosh, it, it took us a month, but now she, she's completely off of this or he's completely onto this. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, again, it's a struggle. I don't, I don't have a, an autistic child, but I, I work with a lot of families that do have autistic child, but I have a child who has high anxiety where she will yeah. freak out and go into complete fight or flight mode for absolutely no reason. And it's hard for us. Cause we're like, what, you know, we'll be just, we'll just be walking. And she's like, I gotta sit down. And it's like, we're just yeah. walking in the mall, you know, but like something triggers yeah. in her brain 
where this anxiety goes in. And it's the same thing that, you know, you're dealing with is we're talking her off the ledge for two and a half hours. And she is a, yeah. she's almost 14 and she's a phenomenal and she, but there's something in her brain, like you said, we don't know what's going on. And mm-hmm. she, she's like, and she'll apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so, we're like, it's not your fault. Like, yeah. Calm down. You, yeah, oh, you I, I never uh, like, yeah, that's a hundred percent way to approach this. I know Hartley doesn't know, but I never stop Hartley from those things that may look odd in public for, for other people. She has to go through a series of stims and you've yeah. seen it. Yeah. You've had some, some, you know, work with children on the spectrum and like, it's just like us when we get excited, like we stand up and cheer. Like it's so appropriate for us to cheer for our favorite football team and act all crazy. But if a child is hand flapping or spinning out of, out of joy, yeah, like it's like looked upon as like, Oh, what is this? What is, what is this? Or she's just, she does my like daughter, does, my daughter does this moaning and it's like, but it's in this joy. Yeah. And it's so like, believe me, it is there's nothing beautiful about it (laughs) but when she does it i know she's in her happiest state yeah and like i never tell her like i never go hey no you can't do that yeah no let it fly baby because we need to not suppress these children these people and they're and, and, and adults too like i think as a as a as a as a populace we need to embrace and notice and be more aware of people like hartley yeah. And be accepting and be able to see like, oh, you know what? Maybe that that person has uh, some underlying thing and this is part of their life. This is what they do. Yeah. And it may look different. So I, when we got the diagnosis, I hid away. I was, it was really hard for me. And I don't know why it was. I think that it was just that label that yeah. got put on her. Um, but now like that I know the importance of um, – letting people know what this looks like. Now I am just like, I just want, I want to tell the world, like you, you don't realize when you have a child, you are an immediate advocate for, for not just your own, but everybody's uh, kids that um, are going through it or any, any family, you, you automatically, you don't sign up for it. It just happens. And um, we've had more so much so that we've had to go to bat for, um kids at our school yeah where ratios were off at our local school where where it's called the stars program but that's our special needs um program for hartley and uh they were they were long story is short they were trying to remove her because of her behavior so we hired an advocate and a lawyer to investigate well guess what this class is supposed to be eight to one ratio it was 16 to one yeah so now you've got these kids with no access to somebody just to, to, to voice themselves to and they want to remove her for that so we had to be the people willing to step up for the good of all yeah you know and it's just been part of our journey and now i embrace it i i, I instead of being upset about it it's like okay let's go let's do this and it's constant we're still dealing with that today um and um it's a lot of politics in, in the public school system. Her chair is worth more than a, uh, a neurotypical chair. Yeah. So they're constantly trying to remove her into an all autistic um, classroom where she's verbal, you know, and, and she wouldn't thrive there. So we're constantly fighting for her rights and her, 
privileges as long as I have Jen at my side and she's leading. Yeah. I know we, I know we can get it done. But just as much as we have the resources, we have to fight for them, unfortunately. So, um yeah. they're readily available, but you have to fight. And we and it's just been part of our journey along the way. Yeah, well that's like the same thing like for for my daughter like with her anxiety, it's like having to talk to these teachers about, Hey, sometimes she's going to just need to get out of your classroom and go stand outside. And it's like, right. well, we're in the middle of this. I'm like, you don't understand, you know? And she, she got diagnosed with, with a fear of like vomiting. And so anytime someone talks about her to get sick, all of a sudden it triggers her anxiety. Um, she also has this, um, I forget the name of it. My wife can tell you it's like this long. Um, but it's, it's where her brain dice, like deciphers words differently. So she knows how to spell it, but her brain will mm-hmm. write it different every single time. Okay. And so it's the craziest thing because you're like, hey, how do you spell what? She's like, W-A-T. You're like, no. She's like, W-H-T. Mm. Like she knows it uh, if she's 13, but it's like her brain will just scramble. The letters are there or sometimes yeah. they're wrong. And it's it's not a form of dyslexia because you could sit there and she'll read, a, read it completely. And she can, mm-hmm. but even when she's word for word copying it down, her brain will like jump yeah. the letters within it. And so it's been really cool because our junior high, you know, we had a meeting with junior high when she got in there and all the teachers have been like, great, she can type all her stuff or we're not going to grade her on spelling and grammar. And so it's awesome that my daughter can go in there because in elementary school, it's like, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And then junior high, they're like, as long as she's getting the concept and as long as like we can kind of, so they're like, hey, type it out. There's one teacher that's like, hey, just get on there and do me a long video report about. And so it's cool that there are people are starting to understand that it's not the way our grandparents were raised, it's not the way we were raised. Like there's this generation that's going to live off of digital, a digital world. And so if you right. can take that digital world and marry it with kids that are having problems, I mean, same, you know, same thing with your daughter. I guarantee you the iPad is somewhere where she can communicate and feel safe and free. And we're not going to, you know, people judge so much. Oh, your kids on the, on, on screen time. But sometime that's the only way that they can communicate with you and through their songs or through their, videos or music or whatever you know right 100 percent. yeah for hartley it's um her reward system um it's it's um her go-to like she will work for a few minutes on an ipad and she's starting to emerge and be able to use it with the pec- it's like a pec system where yeah. i want whatever and the, and the photos are. but she has she has enough language where it's not 100 percent needed yeah but we were starting to introduce it to her because as she gets older, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, right now she's linearly cognitively half of her age. But if that starts to fall behind, she's going to need that device. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, um, but we, we just take each new challenge, like, okay, head on, like, let, let's learn this thing. And like I said, she's, she's a go-getter. I'm proud of her a lot because whatever we challenge her with, she's, she doesn't, like she'll do her little protest but man she just is like engaged wants to you can see i can see her she's my daughter i can see her she wants to learn these things she can't verbalize it but like she still lights up she's she still gives like those cues that those nonverbal cues where you're like man like and that's like i said that that's what lights us up it keeps us going like this, these days can be really hard my home is not my own yeah. my home feels like a clinic someone's here six days a week every day except Sunday, you know, and um, you, you just have to be open-minded. You have to be a yes person. I used to be 
so upset in early years, like, oh, no, that therapist is going to be here. My house is not my own. But now it's like, yes, welcome. Come on in. Yeah. They become family. And you start to see the slow progression and, and just the the happiness, like, starting to flow out of your kid. Yeah. It's, a, it's a whole nother. It's so slow for us. Like, if you met her today and saw her in four months, you might not see it, you know? Yeah. But like it's just those daily little improvements that I that I can I can see in her. And it makes it it makes it worth it. And um and that's you know, full circle back. That's why I'm that's why I'm in this massive endurance. Yeah. Because even if you don't have all these things, you gotta have an outlet. And I'll say it loud and I, and, and some people don't like that I say it, especially as men. We need tough, hard things. We need to do hard things daily. Um and it's we need to remind ourselves that we can do we can choose to do hard things and come back to our tasks. Yeah. Every time I do a hard thing on purpose and come back to my home, that is an utter utter chaos. <laughs> I'm like, I got this. I can do this. I just chose to go do six by three minute sprints with an hour and a half run. You know, I've released my wiggles. I've come back. Now I can come back and be calm and ready to like help the therapist with my child yeah or having that big goal out there train for it each day you have something out there is so important we've got to i I feel like not and it's not just men it's everybody i feel like physical activity releases those anxieties yeah releases those worries and it helps you see that when life naturally gets hard, you've already done hard because you chose it. Hard's going to come spontaneously, yeah. no matter what, no matter who you are. But if you can choose to go and do something hard, when you choose to do something hard, you're programming, like we said, you're programming, you're programming your mind to be able to handle it when it comes spontaneously. Yeah. And that's kind of how I live my life. And that's, tr- I'm trying to, you know, teach my 11 year old son that, you know, we try to do something hard every day. It doesn't have to be like this gnarly workout. There's something hard, something that you really, like your brain goes, oh, I don't want to do that today. That's why you should do it then, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and we had that same conversation with my daughter last night because we went to the high school info info night because she goes to high school next year, which that's scary. Um, and But she was talking about how she's an eighth grader right now. She's massive into art. Like that's her... She's a phenomenal painter. Like I'm looking at going, I'm jealous. I'm an artist and I'm jealous. Um, But a lot of her friends are dropping out of the art class for this second semester and they're going to go do different things. So she's like, I think I'm going to. And I'm like, no, like you're not going to quit because your friends are quitting. Right. This is your passion. Right. She's like, well, yeah, I love it. I said, so why? Well, my friends, I said, at the end of the day, who cares what your friends are doing? It comes down to who you are as a person. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and I go, just so you know, honey, I have turned down a lot of things because I want my daughters to look at me a certain way. There's a ton of companies that reach out to yeah. me that I'm like, I'm not going to work with you because at the end of the day, I don't, res- I, I don't respect your company and I don't want my daughters to look at there's, there's people that have asked me to be on podcasts and I'm like, mm, I don't want my 14 year old daughter listening to your podcast. Therefore, I'm not going to be on your podcast. Yeah. And she's like, well, why? And I said, yeah, could it have elevated me to go get more follow? What? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I come home and I sit around a dinner table with, with, with you two and, and your mom. 
And you need to look at who you are as a person. And if this is the path you want to take, don't let any friend step in your way. Don't let, right. don't let any person get in the way of your overall goal of achievement because you want to hang out with a group. I said, cause guess what? If you start to be different, other people are going to want to follow you because you're the difference maker. I go, there's a reason that I quit my job and I'm pursuing my passion because I don't care about the money. I don't care about what other people are saying. Did everyone look at me like I was insane when I quit a really good restaurant job to go cook wild game? Yeah. But now I look at where I'm at today and I'm like, man, I could not imagine working in the restaurant still. Like even when I, in Montana, I, I ran the kitchen for like 12 hours and I was like, it was fun, but I'm glad I don't do this anymore because yeah. my passion is, you know, then going outside and having fun and, and talking to people. But anyway, I mean, I know it's an hour. You got to get back to your kids, but I want to kind of wrap yeah. up this, wrap up this whole thing real quick because we talked about your endurance. We talked about, you know, your, your kids, but there's another mix that I think is huge that even with this autistic situation at home, you guys decided to bring in another daughter and you guys decided to bring in another foster. And I think a lot of people would have been scared for the stress and anxiety of this home situation that you already have. And then all of a sudden I'm watching social, you're like, look, and I was like, what the, why would you, Yeah, like, why, would crazy you, guy. why would you introduce this to this mix? But it's like, I love, I, I love personally following the journey of, your guys' little family. And so kind of real quick touch on that process of what it looks like. And then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. So this goes back all the way to when I met Jen. So Jen was one of those no, like no mess around chicks. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking for my forever husband. And if you're not it, it's like next. So one of those things was she said like early on, like when we were dating is like, Hey, if you're not interested in, adopting a child or fostering kids like you got to go and i was like that's already on the table right now it's date number two i was like geez man it may have not been date two but it was like pretty early and i'm like thinking dang dude like i'm in my 20s i'm like not where i'm not i'm not i don't even have concept yeah. of my own child yet you know and but you know growing up like in the community we did like that it's not uncommon right yeah and we already had friends that were um, fostering. And, I, you know, I looked at her and I was like, told her, honestly, I said, listen, it's not like on a 20-year-old dude's brain. But I said, I don't, I don't see that being a problem. And it wasn't just to, like, <laughs> keep her calling me, you yeah. know. It was, it was like, yeah, like, it felt natural. Like, but yeah, sure. So we... We're, we're going on 15, uh, 15 years of marriage this year, and uh, we never knew what that would look like. We had a, a, our, our first uh, child, Landon, was like off the spectrum the other way, just like everything early, this little tiny body, like talking to people, and these people are freaking out, like, what is this thing talking to me? And then we have Hartley, who's the opposite direction, and then it was like giant question mark. Yeah. What does that look like for our family? And so the long story short really is my, so Heidi, you know, Heidi, you remember Heidi, like she's my, like, dude, she's, she's like my mom. She's my mom. She's my figure who I, I was like your mom, as long as I can remember for the most part. Yeah. So anyway, she uh, has uh, had a coworker and this coworker uh, happened to be Aaliyah's great aunt. So 
we found we you know it's just a nonchalant conversation at first and then it was like oh yeah like they kind of want to you know dabble they've been wanting to dabble in the fostering and dog like for and then so the this the story started to develop and then it was like it was seven months the, the great aunt had had her for seven months and she dedicated she said i can give nine months to this child and something else has to happen so she found out about us two weeks one week before that nine months was gonna like lapse yeah come up we decided to meet with her, the great aunt. Drove to Huntington Beach, met Aaliyah, and um, <laughs> I boldly like put my money where my mouth was. Like you either you either think that life happens and it just is all happening and nothing matters, or you believe that God has a plan for you and a purpose and an exact moment where you have to make a choice. Yeah. And that's where I came upon. And I was like, I didn't even discuss it with Jen. Jen's sitting next to me. And she's like, oh, what, is, what do you guys? Well, I was just like, yeah, we'll take her home. And I, I, even when I said it, I was like surprised I said it. You know, and then so a week later, that was uh, July of 22. Yeah. Uh, the social system gave us emergency placement because we were friends of the family. And we took her home. And... Uh, only knew her a week. She literally was a stranger, little baby in our home. And uh, we just boldly jumped into like what we had been all the way back to when we were dating and praying for. We boldly just decided this is the way it happens. Because yeah. so many conversations were, how does it happen? And this is like the story of my life, basically. Uh, you know, things just happen. Like, and, and I always, these big moments, uh, I believe are from God and they, and it's the only way that my little tiny pea brain can wrap myself around this. Yeah. So we've had her since um, July of 22 and uh, it's been a year and seven months. It hasn't been all roses. Um, some stuff I can't really like a hundred percent divulge just yeah. because, you know, there, there are parents still involved, but um we're just meeting court date after court date after court. Every, everything is just being delayed right now. And I'm trying to have the same mindset that this is forever. And um, every kid that we've had has led to the next child. Like if it was in any other order, this would not, we would not be here today having a conversation about Aaliyah. Yeah. Like Landon prepared me for Hartley. Hartley prepared us for Aaliyah. And I literally took this baby i literally like looked at her when she came home i said listen i was like there's nothing you can't show me that yeah. that one over there hasn't already yeah so i was like bring it and so now she's a part of our family she's like traveled with us all over with the, you know vacations or to my races she's been to colorado at, like the highest she's been at ten thousand feet in leadville colorado for the highest sanctioned sanctioned mountain bike race that i did a couple years ago and um, we're just continuing to like do the journey, do the weekly uh, court ordered visits, and like we're just positive. We're just trying to be like as positive as, as positive as we can during this struggle, and it is a struggle. Yeah. And like uh, we knew it wouldn't be easy, but it's just if this is forever, then I'm like, bring it. What do you got? What yeah. are you gonna show me? Yeah, and it's crazy too, because I remember 
looking at, you know, you were posting stuff and then it's like the next week your family was holding this like 10 month old baby. And I was like, yeah, where did, where did this, I'm not going to ask questions cause I don't want to, you know, like, yeah. like, and then it was just all of a sudden part and I was like, and then you kind of explained, but I was just, I remember at that point I was like, what just happened? Like, oh, it was literally like so a many week. people. And he's like a picture or, of you guys with a baby. And I was like, this is no, no, this isn't a baby. This is a, this is an almost one year old child. Yeah. And you know what? We had a lot of people that were not on board. And you know what? Like in our household, we don't care. Well, see, and and that's the way that I grew up, right? Because we did. We don't care. Yeah, and in, I mean, you know, like my my parents, we had an open door policy, and there was always kids or kids going through struggles or a high school kid that got pregnant and their mom kicked him out of the house. Well, I was that kid, dude. I was I that kid. Yeah, you were there because you were going through the whole divorce thing with stuff, and and it, yeah. it's just. Like my, literally we had a five bedroom house that my mom and dad, the door was never closed. My, my dad built a dining room table that sat 25 people because there was always, <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, my mom would make a pot of yep. you know, pot of spaghetti that fed 50 people sitting around our entire dining room table and into our living room. And it was yep. like, I remember those days. yeah. And it was one of those, but your sister was there too. And it was yep. like, it was crazy to, to, to look at for me. It was, it was, it was a beautiful story because that was my life was seeing people become part of families. Right. And seeing people. Right. And so for me, it wasn't, but I remember, I remember, I, I have no doubt that people probably looked at that as you were guys were insane dealing with a, you know, six year old autistic daughter and then bringing a new child into the mix. I can't even, but for me it was beautiful. It was, there was yeah. no, nothing in my brain thought anything different than where this baby come from and how are they going to love it? And I think that's just, that goes back to how we were raised and, you know, how, and, right. and how your dad was and how Heidi was, you know, when they would take over you guys, it was this Heidi came into your family with pure love for, oh both, my of, gosh. for both of you guys. Uh, so they, I tell, I, you know, I still, you know, I just saw my dad today and like we had three generations at my, at my son's school, his dad's day. I was like, this guy's coming. Yeah. He's going to come. This, this is like, this is his jam. And like, he like prayed over us something similar like that. Like, it, but um, it's just like he's always been there. Like I, the impact he had every other weekend. Yeah. I like I am the product of how important a father is. If I only saw if I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but if I would have saw my dad on the daily, like what would I what would I have been even more? Yeah. And I'm trying to tell my son that I said, listen, let me tell you about. Let me tell you about a story about dad, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And he's like, what? You never saw, you only saw dad like four days a month. I was like, yeah. Like, but like, dude, like without them, I wouldn't be here yeah. and I would never change my story. I talked my, you know, my son's pretty intellect. He's like, would you change? Would you change that? Like, would you change? I said, no. Yeah. Because the way I see the world and the way that I challenge myself would not be, I would not be the same. I don't even know what I would be. Yeah. So, you know, out of struggle, every great story has come. Amen. And so I, I would not, I tell him 100%, like, every time you feel like you're struggling, you just wait. Yeah. You just wait, son. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, a pastor that retired, the whole reason I quit my job is he, I've said this story before, but he, uh, he talked about cannonballing and he said, you know, so often we tell our kids to dive into something, right? Like. Just mm -hmm. put your feet together, dive into that pool, dive, dive headfirst into it. He goes, the only problem when you dive into something 
is the only person that's impacted or affected within that pool is yourself. Because what is the yeah. goal of a dive? Is A goal of a dive is to go in without a splash. And a goal yeah, of a dive yeah. is to make it perfect. He goes, in life, we need to cannonball. Because when you <laughs> cannonball into a pool, it impacts every single person in the pool and it impacts every single person outside the pool within a certain radius with your splash. Yeah. And the greatest part about a cannonball is once the, the impact hits the side of the wall, it comes back to you and you feel all the impact of all the other people that it hit. And it's like, there's this idea that just exploded within my mind was like, dude, we got to cannonball into things. We got to just go full force. <laughs> we got to make a splash. That's going to change things. Yeah. And that's how kind of, I went into this industry is like, I don't want to be the, the best. I don't want to be the one on TV. I don't want to be the one that's in all the magazines. That's all ripped and everyone. I want to be the one that people are want to look up to and people want to emulate and people want to go hang out with and people want to learn from because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, looking at our parents, you know, our parents weren't the best at anything really. I mean, your dad's a phenomenal right. singer and my dad was good at what he was doing. But at the end of the day, they were the ones that were pushing us into the pool to make a splash. They were the ones yep. that were said, Hey, go make an impact. They weren't the ones that were like, Hey, go make a perfect dive and do this. And you know, to watch you push your son, when he was, he was, you, you sent the video where he's pushing the, the cart right in the gym. It's like, yeah, you know, he, it reminds me of me. Cause I was that little pudgy, that, that little pudgy kid hanging out with all my athletic friends. And it's like, it, I don't know. It's just something that other people look at that saying, if he can do it, I can do it. And it, you know, to make that splash and who he was. So I don't know. It was great. I know you and I are planning lunch, uh, but if anyone's on this yeah. and they want to follow you, I know you've got a really cool page you're on your Instagram. Um, go ahead and tell people where they can find you and follow you along and all that good jazz. Yeah. Instagram is like my main jam. It's the endurance dad life long, <laughs> but it's the endurance dad life. It's, it just suits my, you know, genre and just shoots my, it's my whole life. It's just the endurance dad life and it's real and it's funny. Yeah. You're going to see his family. You're going to see him running and making you feel like you're a slob as you're sitting there eating. A, <laughs> no, uh, that's not, that's not the goal. <laughs> no, but I'm saying is, is, and, and then you're doing funny, stupid things as you're running. And it's, it's crazy to, to, to just look back at 40 years. You know, I can't even imagine us being 40 when we were back in elementary and junior yeah. high hanging out together and laughing at how old our leaders were when they were in their thirties. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, but to look at where we are now and to see that, God, it brings full circle back everything. It's, it's awesome. And I'm blessed, you know, to call you friend for more than I've called a lot of other people friends. And so again, dude, yeah. it's encouraging to watch you push through. It's encouraging to watch your story. Um, and I just appreciate you coming on, man. Cause it's, it's been fun to catch up for this hour and 15 minutes. So. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's been awesome. I feel like I could talk to you another two hours, but you know, we got families and all that. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I'm honored to be on your podcast, man. It's it's been fun. Appreciate it, dude. So hey, go go check him out, Enduro Dad Life. Encourage him on his hundred miles of stupidity. Um, in, <laughs> exactly in Arizona, because I think that's all it is. Is when you run a hundred miles, it's just you have to be insane to run. And I know okay. that, and I know that run. It's like a big giant loop um, that you're running in Arizona. So uh, when you are running it, just remember that the monotony of it. You know, find that goal because I remember Sarah said it. It wasn't like doing the mountain <laughs> runs where you're running a hundred miles of different. I think it right. was, I think it's like 15 or 20 miles of loop or 25, whatever it is. Um, so you'll yeah, five laps, five laps. So you'll pass that. Same, 22 and change or something. Yeah. So yeah. see, I, I know, but you'll pass that same stuff. So anyway, follow him, hang out. And, and until next time, um, 
I think it's like 50% water, 50% protein or something, what you said. So exactly something like that. All right. Talk to you later.